On this episode of the Bible Studies for Life Adult Podcast, we are going to address a tough subject. Well, this podcast is hosted each week by Chris Johnson and myself, Lynn Pryor, and we want to look at the subject of injustice. Great to be with you, Lynn. Thank you for uh, hosting this week. This is a um, a session that we're, we're, is our Sanctity of Human Life uh, focus uh, in during this week. Uh, annually, we deal with issues of injustice. Uh, most of the time, they're about abortion and uh, the unborn injustices to uh, people in our culture. And, and so we're, we're going to speak directly to that today. Uh, we're delighted to have Dahati Lewis with us. He is the author of this study. Dahati, good to have you with us. Tell us a little bit about your background and uh, origin of your name. Yeah, my name is uh, Dahati Lewis. I am basically lead pastor of Blueprint Church and president of the Sin Network. And my name is, is actually a Swahili name. And, and the, the name is pronounced Dahati. You guys actually do a very good job in pronouncing it, Dahati. And, you know, I like to tell people, it's not the cold tea, not the warm tea, but Dahati. So, <laughs> um, and it's a Swahili name. And basically it uh, means free will and determination, you know. And so I was wow. named that in uh, um, over 40 years ago. Wow. Well, great. So uh, you, you are pastoring a church in Atlanta, and thank you for what you do for uh, us as Southern Baptists, uh, serving as the president of the SEND Network. Appreciate that very much. But I'm especially thankful you had some time, because you're a busy man, to be able to take the time to be on this podcast. I know you do have a passion for the issue, the ministry of reconciliation. And that's a big part of what our study, the Sanctity of Human Life session is about. Yes, we're going to talk about uh, injustices against the unborn. We could talk about uh, those who are forgotten in our society. But there's also the issue of even when we consider racial reconciliation. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to be in a book that, frankly, we in Bible studies, we rarely ever study. And that is the very small Old Testament book of Obadiah. Well, one chapter. So one it's, chapter. It's an, it's an easy read. Yes, so, can, can you guys just bring us up to speed? Help us. Uh, what is uh, why is the book of Obadiah in the Old Testament? Well, then I'm going to let uh, Dahati talk about that uh, just a little bit. We we don't know a lot about uh, the the person. Um, we 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 really know mostly what we know um, about the book by reading the book and understanding some background issues. And we hope to surface some of that um, as we talk today. Yeah. And I think, you know, when we talk about this book and we talk about Obadiah, first of all, you got to put it in the larger context of the minor prophets, right? And then when we think about just the minor prophets or even just the prophets in general, I, I oftentimes refer back to Deuteronomy of the purpose of prophets. You know, the purpose of prophets were pre predominantly to draw people back, to call people back, to God, call people back. And that's why I love this specifically in the midst of this, you know, the podcast that you guys are hosting, because especially the emphasis of this week, because as we talk about the sanctity of life, we're talking about sanctity of life all the way from the cradle to the grave, right? And this, that, that human dignity, human dignity, human flourishing. And this is, and I think this book really captures that because oftentimes, especially, um, you know, what we see is um, humans, as humans, we don't give that same dignity to um, people, right? Um, to other people, and, this, this, and that same dignity that we would like to have on ourselves. And I think 
this book is a great book because this is a book in Obadiah that kind of focuses on like what has developed from sibling relationships. So if we even think about this book in Obadiah, that right. you know, we have to go back to Genesis and the relationship between the brothers, right? Between Jacob and Esau, right? And then that, sure. you know, and, then you, and, and it won't go through all of it, but we know that that relationship always had some conflict in it. And, you know, it, it ended up with Jacob being sent out or running away from his brother because of this conflict. And then for many years, and even when he came back, what would seem to have been reconciliation that has taken place, what ends up happening is that they wasn't as tight, or the nations and their descendants weren't as tight as we thought that they might have been. Right. You know, and that conflict basically continued, the clashes between their families and things that came back. And it was in that time that oftentimes, when, especially when you, you, know, you have families who have history, that you begin to not treat them in a way that is di- dignified or that um, talks about like the, you don't, you don't see them in the Imago Dei in the image of God or as image bearers. And so that relationship dynamic is what you see played out in mm. the book of Obadiah. I think that uh, for people in our groups um, to take a minute to talk about uh, Jacob and Esau, that there was tension and conflict in their lives from in the womb as twins. Uh, and, and there were things prophesied about their relationship uh, that came to fruition. And, and the reality is we have those things happen in our lives in families, like, like what you mentioned, we have them in churches and community. And it just, in the, in the culture that we're in, it just seems like um, we, we know the language of the kingdom of God. We know the language of the Bible. We use words like brothers and sisters, but we don't act like brothers and sisters. And we don't always show care and compassion for, for our brothers and sisters. And uh, God called uh, the kingdom of Edom out on this. And, and, and we need to be called out when we are um, unfaithful and we don't live our lives in a way that's pleasing to God. Okay, so let's let's just kind of look at this uh, uh, section of Obadiah. We're, we're going to first of all look at verses one through four, but let me just begin read. Let me read verse two because what we're going to see here is God speaks word against Edom, kind of calling them out for this this idea of an arrogant attitude. This is the word of the Lord. Look, I will make you insignificant among the nations. You will be deeply despised. Your arrogant heart has deceived you. You who live in clefts of the rock in your homes on the heights, who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? This is where um, we need to take a moment for for our leaders and for us uh, to explain what is the uh, the historical context of this passage. Yeah. And so in here, basically, one of the things that we see um, in the book of Obadiah and, and then even you, what you read in there is kind of the, the, the varying past that they have, that the tension that is even built up at the very beginning of this book between the descendants of these two. So you have Jacob and Esau, which we've already talked about earlier. And so out of that, the Edomites came from the descendant in the line of Esau, where the Israelites came from the line of Jacob. And it was in this that these two families came. And so here we have these two families, one that are kind of, they, they described in the cleft of the rocks. They're kind of the ones that they're up on the hill. I don't you know if you've seen, like, especially in those times, that it was hard for enemies to attack 
because of the stage, they had higher ground. You know, we've heard the term higher ground. And right. so because they were in the Clemson, they were mountain people and they were able to do that. They had very few people coming at them for war. But then you had Israel, who was more vulnerable, who was more exposed. And, you know, they have experienced um, trauma. They have experienced takeover. They have experienced those things. And really, they they bring that out on the very beginning. And God, at the very first um, few verses of this, Obadiah exposes them. They says, there's a, there's a pride, there's an arrogance that comes out um, and how you're even seeing yourself in light of this situation that's taking place. Dahadi, in your writing of this text, you talked about one of the sins that Edom was guilty of was the sin of self-preservation. Now, you also reference, you know, we, we typically have often heard about the sins of omission, the sins of commission, those things we fail to do, those things we, uh, we do that, that are wrong. But you also mentioned the sin of self-preservation, which is what Eden was guilty of. Can you, can you unpack that a little more for us? Yeah, I mean, and I think when we talk about kind of the arrogance, you know, that led them towards kind of this sinful pre- um, preservation or self-preservation, this is something that God condemned. You know, because of, you know, and if we're just looking at it from humanly standpoint, the the privilege that they were in and the kind of the upbringing or the, the position of being up in the cleft of the rocks and all that, that they didn't have to experience as much attack as the others, um, as their, 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 their brothers or their, you know, or their cousins or however we want to say the former descendants had, they didn't, they didn't have that same um, tragedy. And what we see in this is, that Edom was condemned, particularly because of its passive disobedience. And the reason why they were disobedient is because of the idea of self-preservation, right? It was only about them and they would only get involved or not be involved. They would only do or not do based upon how it would benefit them. And God was like, basically says, this blinded them from seeing um, others as in the same way God saw them. Right. This blinded them from having that ability to kind of put on God's eyes and and view people with the in the image of God and blinded them from basically the holiness of God. And so any blessing that they were that they were receiving or they were getting wasn't to be a blessing to others as their great grand, you know, great grandfather Abraham or their, you know, as Abraham would have seen it, that he was blessed to be a blessing to others. Instead, what they saw that they were blessed so that they could be stronger, smarter, you know, more self-deserving. And they, and they, they built their whole lives about preserving, you know, their wealth, preserving what they had versus um, using it for God's glory and for everything. So it was the sin of self-preservation. So, again, the historical context is um, the, the time when Babylon is. Uh, the the primary world power they have they are in the process of attacking yes. and destroying uh, Judah Jer- the area of Jerusalem yes. and so while that's going on Edom is standing standing aside and letting it happen um, hiding in the cleft of the rocks um, saying hey I'm not going to be a part of this <laughs> it's on you man right yes let me. Uh- remind us that we are Bible studies for life. And so, which means we're not just doing Bible study for the sake of Bible study. I mean, this is fascinating about the background of Obadiah, 
But let's also keep in mind, what is God saying to us today? And the hottie, as you're unpacking this, I'm thinking about this sin of self-preservation, how maybe to see how that's evident in, in our lives today. You know, or we watch the news or we hear about an injustice somewhere, something that's happening. And th- that idea that I'm just going to kind of protect myself. You know, I think that's wrong. That's too bad that that's happening. But I'm not going to step outside my comfort zone to actually do anything. I'm not going to get involved. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and it's in that passivity that a lot of times it's kind of the paralysis of analysis. You know, fear makes us like whenever we're afraid of something. And I think, you know, this is natural human nature is that we have, you know, the whole fight, flight or freeze. Right. And I think that's oftentimes what we see when it comes to conflict, the conflict that's going on, you know, whether it's between races, political parties, you know, um, our stances like there's this fight, that fear that comes. And so you have a group of people who are overly aggressive. They go into this fight dynamic. You got these people who kind of retreat and just hope that it goes away, you know, and that's kind of a flight. But then you have a lot of people into this idea of paralyzing. And this is like freeze. They just don't know what to do. They know that they need to do something, but they don't know what to do or how to do it. It puts us into kind of this kind of, you know, kind of how we deal with trauma. And so I think a lot of us, you know, in order for us not to lose, because if we know if we engage in any way, basically now we have, quote unquote, skin in the game. And if we have skin in the game that we have potential of losing you know, something or being perceived as something, you know, and that fear, I mm. think for many of us ends up hindering us. And I think there's so many things in the Bible that shows us like about kind of like how to, how can we overcome that? And Jesus talked about, we, like he did not give us the spirit of fear, but a power, love and of a sound mind. So it's not that we're not going to have fear, but we don't allow our fear to control us. We don't allow our fear, our phobos to become a phobia. You know, but we take what are our fear to God. And I think big part of that is in our arrogance. When we think about self-preservation, it's in our arrogance that we don't think that we need to take our fear to God. Instead, we kind of put it wrapped up into in our resources. And I think that becomes um, an issue. And we don't want to put our resources in our life because that's where we put our faith in our resources. So a part of what we do with Bible studies for life is we try to ask questions to create conversations for life. And, and two questions that uh, are a part of this section that I thought were very, very um, intuitive and would give direction um, are these two. What types of injustices are largely ignored in our culture? Now, the reality is there are some of those that are universal, but then there are some that are going to be more specific to the group that's meeting. So uh, we, we, ask this kind of question to give people a chance to talk about um, the reality is that uh, a lot of times we are passive and a lot of times we ignore um, injustice. And uh, the other question I thought was intriguing was how does arrogance like that of Edom fuel injustice? And uh, I think that these two questions can fuel uh, some healthy and important conversation around the text. Let me take us now to verse 10 of Obadiah. And we're going to, as we continue in this study, this idea that there's an indifference, the sin of indifference. I don't want you to see the connection that's made to violence. 
God, again, speaking to Edom, says, you will be covered with shame and destroyed forever because of violence done to your brother Jacob. On the day you stood aloof, on the day strangers captured his wealth, while foreigners entered his city gate and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were just like one of them. Now, how do you point this out in what you wrote here? God wasn't speaking against Edom because they had invaded Israel or they had stolen the land. God destroyed Edom because they did nothing to stop it. And you make a strong connection there between the sin of indifference and, and violence. Because I think, you know, what God, what he did, what, what um, Obadiah did in the very beginning was really just to show that the issue is not about how much you have. It's not bad to have a lot. It's a stewardship issue. And really, it's how are we leveraging our steward? You know, how are we stewarding God's resources? Right. And I think that's what we got to remind ourselves is that, you know, it's 10 percent is not God's resources. We don't give our first 10 percent and say, OK, God, we get no, we give the first 10 percent to remind us that 100 percent of it is. And how we steward those resources, as, as I, I really believe, is what God judged Edom, the Edomites about. Right. Because they wanted to know, like, how are you stewarding your resources? Are you stewarding for human flourishing? the sanctity of all of life? Are you just stewarding for the, the flourishing of your own personal life? And that indifference to other people's life, it wasn't necessarily, you don't have to be actively against, but an act of disobedience, active indifference is, is violent. And that's the way he couches that, that violent indis, indifference and passive disobedience is, are the things that have plagued the American culture, right? And specifically American Christians. And that's what I was trying to bring out in there all the way back since the civil rights days, right? And then when you had Dr. King in the letters to the Birmingham jail, when he was writing specifically to the people saying, wait, it's not time, while there was violence taking place, you know, at the hands, and he basically said injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere. And it's not one of those things that we can quarantine. And so whether you are the active ones doing it, or you, whether you're just passively standing by, and not leveraging your time, your talent, your treasures to fight against injustices. Last year, uh, I read the the letters to the letter from a Birmingham jail. That is one of the most profound things I've ever read, and I'm grieved that I'd I'd always heard about it. I'd never read it before. It was it was it was very convicting. And the hottie, you did you quoted this one line from from what Dr. Martin Luther King said there. He said. We will have to repent in this generation, not merely for the hateful words and actions of the bad people, but for the appalling silence of the good people. That's that, wow, passive disobedience. We didn't do what we should have done. Yeah, I, I, I just think that it, it, it is that because a lot of times we think that it's about the active things that we do. But when we, like when you quoted earlier or you talked about earlier, there are sins of commission. There's of sins of omission, right? We all recognize and understand those things. There's things that God has called us to do that we don't do, but there's things that we ought to be doing, right? And, you know, and I think that we got to understand both of that. And if we are called to love our neighbors, this is a perfect example of not loving our neighbors, especially when our neighbors are, um, you know, are experiencing, um, tragedy or trauma or, you know, for us not to leverage our resources specifically with there's that, that, that natural connection, I think is, 
is um, is it cripples us as the body of Christ. Uh, let's uh, let's go to verse fifteen because we we are going to see in this that whatever our role, God is going to work His justice. Verse fifteen: For the day of the Lord is near against all the nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. What you deserve will return on your head. As you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and gulp down and be as though they had never been. But, but there will be deliverance on Mount Zion and it will be holy. The house of Jacob will dispossess those who dispossessed them. Here is the uh, house of Jacob uh, that's facing injustice, but this promise from God that justice will reign. I think that's really good. I mean, what you're, I mean, what you're reading is just convicting. And again, just like we said all the time, what I love about this idea of justice is justice is not kind of this arbitrator, arbitrary kind of, you know, justice is blind kind of justice, but justice is about bringing this, you know, like holistic, it's perfect in all of it. It's biblical justice is about right relationships. It's about righteousness, righteous standings. It's about mm-hmm. holistic restoration. So not only does he say in that passage that I will, that I'm pronouncing judgment on Edom, but he also talks about, he is going to restore. He's going to restore um, Israel. And I think that that is a critical piece that we understand about justice. It's not about just stepping in and stopping something, but it's about also bringing, restoring dignity for where that was, that, where that was taking. Now, Dahadi, you used a, a, a phrase there that catches my attention, this idea of holistic restoration. Tell us more about that. Well, I, I think when it talks about there's, when we talk about holistic restoration, it's about recovering and pursuing God's holistic design. When, when we understand that what happened in the fall, right, there was a fall between God and man, that relationship was torn that there was a fall between man and man, man and woman, right? There was a human fall. But we also see that there was a fall in creation. Romans chapter eight talks about creation groans, right? That there was, there was so many, there was fall and, and so on things. But, you know, but he also, in that, we also see kind of this idea of kind of restoration that God in the proto-evangelion, that God is going to be restoring and bringing all things right back to himself. And I think that, you know, so when I talk about the recovering and pursuit of God's holistic design, I think about it from on a multiple emphasis, right? That there's a spiritual, there's an emotional, there's an economic, and there's a social, right? You know, and I think where we understand the idea, like Ephesians chapter two, one, chapters one and two, just talks about kind of God's restoration spiritually, right? How we, that we are saved by grace, that it's a gift of God, not of words, so that no man can boast. So we, we understand that we are saved by grace, and it kind of summarizes it in Ephesians 2.10. He says, we are his workmanship. So we recognize that we are saved by grace alone, through Christ alone, by, through faith alone. Right. He says created in Christ Jesus that we put in that it's that we, that is all done through the person and work of our Lord and Savior, the death, burial, resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. But then it says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. But then that third clause says for good works. Right. Right. And right. I think that that is the piece that if we are to love our neighbor, we got to recognize that our neighbor is that we have to help to bring restoration holistically to our neighbor of all of that has been bro- broken 
down. Now, you know, and that's the difference between justification and sanctification, right? And okay. sanctification is more of the holistic, right, um, um, development or restoration of all things where, we're, you know, for, for human flourishing. I anticipate, and I trust you will have some very rich conversations with your group. Let me remind you, as you're going through this, keep coming back to this idea, this principle, that we need to join God in pursuing justice in the face of indifference and in the face of oppression. God has called us to that through this passage in Obadiah. But as you do this with your group, save time to, to talk about application. In your books, whichever book you're using, there is a page called Live It Out. The Dahati has given us three specific application ideas. But I want you to read those, and I want you to really process this idea of what he's calling us, challenging us to do as we think about how we join God in pursuing justice. So there are so many uh, dynamics at play in our world that um, give us the opportunity to find practical ways we as the church, we as believers can work to overcome injustice in our culture. And again, I think that uh, these are healthy conversations for us to have in our groups, for us to talk about as a church, what, what uh, we can actively do uh, to be people who are a part of the solution, not just people who are saying, boy, we got a lot of problems. I don't know what we're going to do. <laughs> right. And uh, so this is, this is a great opportunity uh, on this particular day uh, for us to talk about injustice from a, a wide kind of spectrum of, of sources in our culture and kind of narrow in on what's going on in our world, what's going on in our community, what can we do about it? Yes. Uh, there are opportunities for us to actively get involved um, in looking for solutions and being a part of the answers as the, as the church in our, and, and to start that in our groups. You know, we have to trust the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us to those types of opportunities, Chris, that you just talked about, but it's about putting ourselves in harm's way in order to do that. And I think that's what the Edomites were unwilling to do. They are unwilling to put themselves in harm's way because they didn't see the benefit for themselves. And God judged that passivity. And, you know, and just like, you know, it says in the study, basically, I would just encourage our listeners and even ourselves in the same way, Proverbs 31, um, eight and nine, this tells us to speak up, speak up for those who have no voice, for the justice of all who are dispossessed, speak up, judge righteously, and defend the cause of the oppressed and the needy, right? And I just think that that's the first step is just to speak up. You know, when we see it, when we do it, and don't think about it from just a self-preserving vantage point, but, you know, look at it, put on God's eyes and see that, you know, at the very core of who Christ is, is that he put on human flesh. He put himself in harm's way so that he can bring reconciliation back to God. And I really think that that, you know, is really our heartbeat. You know, if we want to be people, carriers of the gospel, we got to preach the gospel, but we also got to live it. We got to live it out. Well, thank you, Tahati, uh, for being with us, for writing, for sharing your heart with us and your passion. Uh, Lynn, thanks for the conversation and, and, and sharing some of your conviction um, as we've gone through this study. And our hope is that those of you who listen to this podcast, this will benefit you as you prepare uh, f to have conversations with your group uh, from the book of Ob Obadiah this week. Mm -hmm.